Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do something fun with the family. Come downtown and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd at the CHI Health Center. Get inside the newest cars, trucks, and SUVs and see some of the hottest electric cars like the Hyundai Ionic 5. Race a NASCAR remote-controlled car. See beautiful classic cars and visit the Subaru Pet Adoption. Free admission for veterans on Friday. Get out and go to the Auto Show, January 20th through the 22nd. Find more at omahaautoshow.com. Everybody, welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the rock and roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. And folks, I know absolutely entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And sometimes it makes me rethink my life. With me, as always, is my co-host. She's skeptical about the whole thing, and she's been up and down with her skepticism. We might be at an all-time low. Uh, these days, it's Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. I literally just spend all of my time consuming rock documentaries and uh, and books now, and it's it's shocking even me, and it is increasing my skepticism a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I will. I'll say that stuff though. That's on you. I haven't, I haven't made, I haven't made you, you like read a book or anything like that no. is, that is fully on you. No, I'm just, I think I'm just in a place in my life where I am interested in reading about things that are not part of my career tra- trajectory. Like mm-hmm. I can read a, I can watch a documentary or read a biography about someone who's doing something that I never wanted to do, like start Rolling Stone magazine, you know, yeah, that's uh-huh. like, okay. I can, that, that's something I can just learn about without feeling any jealousy. I have no jealousy of okay. Jan Wenner. I can say that with absolute certainty. That's, that's great. That's, I think that's a healthy approach. Kristen, yes. you know we are in a new month. Oh, God. Oh, my God. How did Don't I forget. forget. <laughs> oh, no. First, okay. first off, I would assume you would be delighted because I'm very Fu- happy. Fulai is the national nightmare has ended. Fulai is done. No longer talking about the Foo Fighters. What now we are in August, be? and you have some you have some hints already. I know that we are talking about a side category, but I truly don't even remember what side category our our subject is being inducted in. Well, I would I will tell you this: Is it Augustulence? The last episode of Foo Lie was a bridge to this month. Docur August. <laughs> Almost, like let's let's make that a little 
Let's combine. <laughs> let's make it a little more concise. Document August. Kristen, <laughs> welcome to Doc Gist. No, that's worse, Joe. That's bad. Document August is, no, is no. better. I considered augumentaries, yeah. but <laughs> we're going to go. Augumentary sounds like a weird, yeah. like, uh, that sounds like a plastic surgery for a robot. Yes, right. Um, yeah. And augmented. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, you know, it, has to, be, it? Aug- has to be a little clumsy. So we are going with Doc Gist. This is very bad. Docgist. Welcome to Docgist. How do you spell that? D O C G U S T. Docgist. This is this is very bad. You should take dog uh documentogist out back Docu- and shoot Docu- it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Documentogist, I think is a better one. It's still clumsy and terrible. I know, but Doc guess what? Gist is- Docgist is happening and that's yeah, what it already, is. Yeah, you've already you've already created the hashtag. Yeah, oh my it's, god. It's it's happening now. We have really let our guest oh, so uh, <laughs> wait for this big reveal. But, you know, part of Doc Gist is that we will be talking. And it sounds worse. It, no, it's great. We will be talking to people who have been involved in the production of the many documentaries that have recently been made about some of the inductees this year. And which I've accidentally been watching just of my own volition. Yeah, so wow. let's let's bring him in. One of the editors of the Black Godfather, the documentary on non-performer inductee Clarence Avant. Let's bring in Will Snederek. Hi, Will. Hey, how are you? Good. So we are so excited to have you on the show. I'm super excited. I didn't know it was going to be Doc Guest. Boy, Doc- you are kicking off Doc Guest with us. It's amazing. I, amazing. Really, I mean. Is I'm more excited about the content of Docist, but mm-hmm. this is a bad, this is a bad pun. <laughs> this is very yeah, bad. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of consonants together that, that mm-hmm. are a little awkward there, but but we'll get it. Not unlike yeah. our last names, Will. Exactly. <laughs> Zmaderic right. and Quazala out here defending I think yeah. we were weird bo- letter combinations. We were born, we were born to to talk in Docist. <laughs> <laughs> We've met our destiny. This is bad. Absolutely. So uh, before we kind of get into it, Will, one of the things I ask our guests kind of first thing off the bat, what is your reference level for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's a peripheral institution for a lot of people. But, you know, have you seen an induction ceremony before? Do you pay attention when the annual list comes out? That kind of thing. I do. I do pay attention. I, I was actually way more into it kind of in the early days. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I was like being a child of the 80s, formative years in the 80s, rather. I was really into like rock and roll, like 50s rock and roll, like Chuck Berry and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was very much centered around that type of that era to the point where I even wrote a book report that you present in classes, like maybe seventh grade on Chuck Berry. I read his book. Oh, wow. If you guys are familiar with I it. I love this. <laughs> I've not read his book, but I love it. I, yeah, well, don't learn too much about your idols because mm. in later years, he had a restaurant chain and installed cameras in the restrooms. And no. Yeah. yeah, it got awkward. So imagine me as a seventh grader 
Does he talk about that in his biography? Does he say it? Okay, wait a minute, because this was a different time and it was before. It was like people would almost like brag about the fact that they were spying on women in the bathroom. Was he proud of this? Well, there there were legal ramifications for sure. It was never an okay thing at any point. Okay. But he didn't seem that... Yeah, it wasn't like contrite, super contrite about it. Okay, I think that's interesting that he included it Mm. (laughs) to me. I'm like, then you just stop. You're like, and then now here Mm -hmm. I am. What am I up to now? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You put it out there. You got to give him credit. Got to give him credit. What am I up to now? There's no internet, so you'll never know. (laughs) Good God. Yeah. Okay. I know I might have just cracked that open for the internet (laughs) age here. Sorry, Chuck. You have a uh, you have a history of being into the early rockers, so you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame may appeal to you at at certain points. Well, I'll just say that was a while ago, but in recent memory, I haven't been as much paying attention. Although Prince's solo on while my guitar Mm -hmm. is a like just a crystalline high point, and you got to thank the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for that. Boy, gosh, it really is one of the only things that we can thank the Rock Hall for. And we do. You know what? We do thank them for it, that. I, I am grateful of, that they brought that to us. It's one of the moments that passes through the periphery and is right in front of people. Like, that's one of those things that is like a cultural touchstone. Like, it is trans, it's transcendent. It broke through. Yeah. Every once in a while, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame breaks through into the mainstream consciousness. <laughs> oh, boy. And then now it's part of my everyday consciousness. Who knew? <laughs> now, Will, you are an editor of primarily documentaries. You edited. You were one of the editors for The Black Godfather. I'm curious how you made it to this project. Oh, good question. It was being worked on. A lot of times on documentaries, you have different teams of editors in different phases to get either fresh eyes or a fresh take. And it landed in my lap because the company I work with a lot, and I'm now staffed there, it's called Make Make Entertainment, but we've got a good relationship with Netflix. And so I had already done some stuff for them that worked out well. So they uh, enlisted my help for this project. And... It was super exciting for me, mostly because of the acts involved. And I think with a lot of people out there, I had never heard of Clarence Avon mm-hmm. beforehand. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's part of the kind of story is a secret guy behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. And having worked on this, he's now one of my favorite people of all time. So it was a very exciting journey. But knowing that he was responsible for Bill Withers and Dennis Coffey, who I was actually already a fan of, and Jimmy Smith. I mean, this is like half of my vinyl collection right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Clarence Avant, and we will, especially for our listeners, get into what he did and, and how the documentary shows that. But overall, you know, Kristen, you and I were talking recently about a lot of the non-performer inductees. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the guys, a lot of those guys show up in this documentary. Yes. You, you see There's Irving a whole Azov. fucking circle of them at one point. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's my least favorite part of the damn movie. Uh, you, you see Irving Azoff. You see David Geffen. You see Clive Davis. You see Barry Gordy. You see all mm-hmm. these titans of the recording industry. And one of the things we had been talking about recently, Kristen, was like, do we need to give these like super famous rich people this additional award? And I think it was even brought up 
why can't we give this award to someone who has less name recognition, but when you look into it, what they did, it's an interesting story. And I think I want to say Clarence Avant satisfies those hypothetical prereqs that we had put forth. Yeah, I mean, he, after watching this movie, which I did watch of my own volition before it was even assigned to me, if you could believe it. Like a few weeks ago. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I watched it. And I really, I mean, when Joe texted me to say that we were going to be talking about this movie, I was like, oh, good. I really liked it. But I'm a little worried that I'm going to conflate it because I also watched the Quincy movie right in a row. Kind of like I watched the Quincy movie, the... um, We should point out, we should point out, Will, Yes, you were also involved with the Quincy movie, yeah? Exactly. Yes, I also was one of the editors on that as well. So I'm prepared. So I was like, I'm like, good. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it turns out he also was an editor on that film. And I'm like, okay, good. So as long as I don't conflate. And then I had also recently watched the Clive Davis one as well. Didn't work on that. Sorry. No, that's all right. You know what? <laughs> I honestly liked the Quincy and the Clarence Avant ones more than the Clive Davis ones. And okay. that might be just because I like them more than I like him. Um, <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I find the them to be better subjects. Yeah. Subject is yeah, a huge part of, I think, your enjoyment. <laughs> Although I guess you can say my work on the Quincy is what helped me get on the Avon, the Clarence Avon project. Mm-hmm. Well, because some of the sweetest parts of this documentary are the two of them just clearly enjoying each other's company and just hanging out and giving each other shit. It's really sweet to watch. I also think that this movie was like really well constructed as far as like the story that it tells you, you start thinking, Oh, this is a man who is a materialist. He cares solely about money he he you know his famous quote of like life's all about the only thing that matters is numbers you're born a number you die a number money is all i care about i have no heart or whatever and that's and that i have to point out that is a very well edited part of the movie where you see just how often he he says that that's like the maxim that is the thesis he thinks is the thesis of his life which is that life is about numbers that's part of his game exactly but and i think that what this movie does such a great job of is showing you that that's a front and it's really just like i loved how kind of it the turns that it took with regard to letting us into his life and the meaning of the work that he does. And I think that's why I can really get behind Clarence Avant as an inductee. And I'm sure I will go on very at length as we continue, but like I can really get behind him as an inductee just because I think more people should know about him. And he's had such a really important impact on the industry. And I think it's good to recognize him. It's very interesting because he's so multifaceted. He's not just a music guy. He's Mm -mm. like, you know, I'd say like of the movie, you know, 70% of it is probably about his involvement with the music industry or maybe 65%, something like that. But then the rest, it's like, he's done everything. I don't know. He's cool. I really like him a lot. I'm excited to talk about him. I want to meet him very much. I think I would be pretty, I, he would just call me a motherfucker and I would never even get near him. (laughs) You'd love it. (laughs) 
So when you put it all that way, I feel like I'm a tiny little piece of helping tell a story, you know, and that makes me psyched. And I also liked how it was done with the cogs of the wheel, the way that it was shown that he like clicks into place and she connects all these people. Right. So graphically, what is done in the movie is it's almost like three dimensional showing how you can connect everybody back to Clarence Avon. They do it very elegantly, I think, with these lines that draw from this to that to this. And it's almost like a galaxy. On some level, it's like everyone in black entertainment, but then sometimes it's just like everybody in entertainment. It just like all goes back mm-hmm. to, to Clarence. And visually it's shown in a, in a very striking way. Yeah, we didn't zoom out all the way, but actually every single individual on this planet is connected. <laughs> If you zoom out far enough. Yeah. Right. Six, six <laughs> degrees of Clarence Avant, you know? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, like his superpower is connection, connectivity. Yes. And so that was part of like the theme that created that graphic that we're talking about. And also like starting it with Bill Withers talking about how he was a airplane mechanic and in his thirties and how Clarence got his career going, and he talks about him connecting people. I mean, he says it right up front there. So that that would be like a sub-theme that kind of connects, so to speak. And I mean, there is a part of the movie, I forget who says it, but they say Clarence isn't a bridge. He is the way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that is correct. And again, to our listeners, if you haven't watched this film, it's on Netflix. You subscribe. Just give it a watch. You'll enjoy yeah. it. Even if you want to take a moment right now, pause, <laughs> yeah. watch the movie, and then you uh, want you want to hear us talk about it, you can come right back. But I, I do think it, it, also listening to this will, could be potentially a good primer into watching the film. But I would love to kind to go through the the movie and so that we can tell the story of this man i thought it was you know like you said it starts with bill withers and, and those two are so tied and i think if bill withers were still alive he would be the obvious choice to induct clarence avon oh yeah i hate that I know. oh I know. okay because you see later in the movie he's the one who gives the speech when clarence gets a star on the hollywood walk of fame yeah Like he's Mm -hmm. just such an obvious choice. They are so tight and their careers are so linked. But I think it's also, it gives you an idea of what is in store in a very vague but intriguing way when you just see all the people who you are going to hear from in this movie. Yes, the access to people, the people that they had access to for interviews for this film shows you the depth and breadth of this man's power, of his soft power, of the fact that he it, he has access to everyone. And they talk about it all the time in the film, but like the fact that they were able to get like Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, you Kamala, know, Kamala, Diddy, uh, Snoop Dogg, Lionel Dog, Richie, Jamie Foxx, Lionel Richie, like you've got them all. It's astonishing how many people were willing to go on camera to talk about this man. I love it. Vague but intriguing, I think, is going to be the mantra for any any doc editors out there. It's That's good. how you start a film. Well, you want I to, also you want to give them a little taste, yeah, just, but not everything so that they exactly. Keep and the in. thing that I said, I was watch. I just rewatched it at like double speed before we got on here just to like make sure I hadn't forgotten or was just remembering the Quincy dog. And I, I was making a note and I was like, oh, you know, we really haven't learned much about his childhood. And I was like, do we learn about his childhood? I can't remember. And we don't until halfway through the film, yes. which is very different. I'm actually glad that we're talking to the editor of the film because I do think that it was very 
interesting and compellingly edited because most documentaries follow the same. They follow the life. So you begin with the childhood mm-hmm. and then you just go chronologically it's completely linear. Yeah. And the fact that we don't it isn't until half like we've mentioned his mom. They've mentioned that he's from Climax, North Carolina. They've mentioned these things, but we do not know the like depths of the poverty and abuse that he endured until halfway through the film, we already know he's this big success guy before we even really know where he came from, which I think was a very interesting move. And it's almost like a twist. And at that point, I feel like is when we begin to realize that he has so much more heart. This is when like the cavalcade of just people being like, this man saved my life. He changed my life. He made me not leave my wife. He Mm -hmm. got me out of jail. He, you know, it's just like 40 people in a row all saying that he has changed their lives for the better or connected them and forever altered the course of their own personal history. It's kind of like we learned that this kid who came from the Jim Crow South in 1931 has gone on to have all this and I will say too that one of the last things he says in the movie is oh you know I've had a good life now if I woke up tomorrow and I was Warren Buffett I'd have an even better life he has like a he has a strange like obsession with well if I could only be Warren Buffett that's that's the real success money you know it's it's uh it's still a little real you know Mm -hmm. it's not all Mm -hmm. but it's speaking about the non-linearity of the story Mm -hmm. telling you know if you think about if you strike up a conversation with somebody at a party, back when we used to have parties as a civilization, (laughs) you rarely are like, oh, hey, how you doing? My name is Will. I was born on this date and uh, la 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 la. And you you kind of just start with where you are and you sort of backtrack a little bit if Mm -hmm. the conversation goes that deep. So you've got to like be invested emotionally to even care about someone's childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I find like if I'm watching a biographical documentary and it starts that way, I'm a little bit like, oh, I got to like wade through this, you know, until we get to the good stuff. And you make a great point, too, because, you know, you can get away with that if if this person is someone that the people watching the film come to already with a good understanding and interest in. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to inform people about someone, you have to give them a reason to invest in where they came from. And so, wow, filmmaking. What an art. (laughs) This is so exciting. I didn't know we would be going there in this hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't say this is a normal topic for us, uh, you know, to really get into how a film was edited, but I'm enjoying it. Document. Document August. Where did we doc, end up with that? Docgist. Nope. Docgist. I, I believe you're trying to say Docgist. <laughs> Everything changes. You know, here we are. Here yeah, we are. I know. It's, we're, and this is only the beginning, Kristen. Yeah. How many weeks are in Docgist? Five. There's four. I don't know that we will make it to four. I may, zig, I may zig. I might zag when you think I'm going to zig at the very end. We will see, though. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're not even close see, to that. We've only just begun. Oh, yeah. Exactly. This is very meta. <laughs> vague so, but intriguing there it is mm-hmm. Mis- mystery that's a, that's a, maybe a better way to put that i think that's what we're describing is, is keep mystery. tuning in lister- listeners yeah. you have no idea where it's gonna end up exactly right. so yeah the the film really you know you you get that mystery you get the intrigue and then it doesn't start with his early life it starts with the beginning of his professional life which is you start out managing a club And this guy, Joe Glazer, who's this big time agent manager type and also like mob dude, takes a liking 
to Clarence and brings him into the world of representation of artists. I have a question about this because I did literally right before we got on, I was just rewatching it real fast. He says, I was talking to Dinah Washington and she was, you know, real rough. And he heard me talk, he heard me yelling at her and said, hey man, you should be an agent. Was he bullying Dinah Washington? And then like, is this how his career be? It's like a very short moment, but like you have access to the to the raw footage, uh, Will. Yes, speaking about another inductee, Dinah Washington. I did mm-hmm. a little homework for Ooh, the session. Nice. <laughs> no, she's the one who did the bullying. I mean, she was very strong. And so I think that that aspect of it is Clarence was cowed by her. He stood up to her. Okay. So it was like she was doing the bullying generally, but okay. he, he held his ground in essence. And that's what Joe Glazer sort of remarked on. That makes sense. And I like that. I was like, yeah. he says, Dinah was rough and he heard me talking to her and said, you should be an agent. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it was more that he could he could handle. But it was that he could hold his own against someone mm-hmm. who was such a force. That's interesting. See, it's funny. Like when you're putting this stuff together, you generally, you know, it's all long, but mm-hmm. you have to trim the stuff down. But I can't recall if we had performance footage of her in there or not, if that ended up in the last cut. It was just a picture of her. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, there were edits of her performing. You know, part of what I love working on documentaries like this is it's like a grad level course because I really maybe had heard of Dinah Washington before working on this, but didn't have that kind of familiarity. But working on this, I got to like see flyers for her shows and the Apollo and different theaters and find archival footage that exists of her and and the way she wore her fashion and uh, the sound of her voice and her sort of history. There's a bit of that also in Quincy as well. So, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, she's like, a, she's a link. She's another link on that big, not murder board. You know what I'm talking Galaxy about. Board. Yeah. <laughs> Galaxy board. Yeah. Galaxy. Yeah. She's one of the planets uh, you know, yeah, revolving. That's... Yeah. It's not true crime. Yeah. We've just seen too many <laughs> cop shows. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, from there, from getting into that through Joe Glazer, he becomes a manager. Most notably, he's managing people like Little Willie John, uh, who came up recently when we talked about the most unfortunate names in the Rock Hall uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh, Little Willie. Uh, and then, you know, the jazz organist Jimmy Smith, uh, eventually Lalo Schifrin. And that's, you know, he, he's, he's starting with those guys. And even though his career shifts from not exactly being a manager that is is kind of the beginning of it all yeah well and i thought it was interesting too how how openly and i think this is a lot in the quincy documentary too but just how openly the mob was running entertainment at this time you know there's that great anecdote great in quotes but anecdote about them you know hanging somebody out the window for trying to renegotiate Jackie Wilson's contract. Like, uh-huh. and it's like very funny because Quincy Jones is like, nah, man, you remember it. He's like, he's like, oh, I didn't care about the mob. Yeah, I didn't know right. about the mob, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. And Quincy's like, uh-uh, remember that vulture interview I did? I'm on one. I'm crazy. I don't <laughs> yeah, care. I'll say that's, anything. <laughs> that's the thing. Quin- Quincy is so open and maybe even fearless, you could describe it. And Clarence is a little bit, the, the line is Clarence goes, business people, not mafia. And Quincy goes, Oh, please, Clarence. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. yeah. Having worked on both, you know, it's interesting. I mean, how they're different. Quincy is so 
open and warm. Like he's so open hearted. And so he, he just lets it all flow out and he's very emotional. He's in touch with his emotions or mm-hmm. Clarence is very, he's not as effusive mm-hmm. with his emotions. And that's part of like the structure we talked about. Like you think it's all about money. I mean, that's how he presents himself. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really peel those layers away to get to the big hearted guy hiding in there. Yeah. It feels like, you know, he's the head and Quincy's the heart and they're just like this cute little duo. I think that we can feel that way too, because they're old men now. And I bet in their heyday, I'm sure people had a lot of different feelings about that. Yeah. There, there's about a, that. there's a, a layer of adorableness. Yeah. We're like, Oh, look at these cute old men, you know? And then I'm like, God, you know, what was it like in their heydays when they really had a lot of power? And what was it like for people who had less power? I don't know what the misogyny was like. I'm sure it was there though. I mean, just if you're going by, if you're, if you're a betting man, uh, that's likely given the era and the industry. Although interestingly about Clarence, you know, he met, he met his lovely wife and they've been together for Longer than most of the planet's been alive at this point. And that's <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. And, and yeah. his advice is very morally grounded. I mean, you know, that's what oh, you yeah. get to in the film. It's not just the professional music business side of things, but it's that human level advice and relationship advice and all that great stuff. Well, and he doesn't seem like he's out there trying to gallivant. They talk about that at the end of the film, too. His daughter talks about how he knows his purpose and he knows his mission. And everything that he does is filtered through that lens. Talk about life purpose. I mean, I'm truly envious of that as a human, like to to know what you're meant to be doing and Mm -hmm. to just do that in every. And so no matter what you're doing, you're doing your purpose because it's who you are. And I'm like. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if knowing your purpose, right? Knowing your destiny. I, I think that that comes later. I'm just guessing here, you know, but I have to just assume he was looking at what was in front of him, Clarence, and, and just making that deal happen or setting up that record label or whatever it is. I don't think he was ever thinking about like, oh, okay, this is my purpose, you know, consciously. That's true. Maybe when I'm in my 80s, someone will tell me what my purpose was. They'll be like, like, look at what your purpose was. Everything you did was through this lens. And I'm like, oh, I did it. Interesting. Sorry to to bring my existential crisis (laughs) into this episode. Wouldn't be the first time. Would uh, not. The, uh, and the, the next few moments of the movie, and it's interesting, if you, especially if you're looking at this through the Rock Hall lens, because as you alluded to earlier, Kristen, not everything that he does is music-centered. They, they talk about you know, taking this you know, Dizzy Gillespie's uh, piano player, Lalo Schifrin, and being tasked with getting him to compose for movies. And it ends up being a, a wild success. And then similarly, but, you know, different, getting Jim Brown, the mm-hmm. football player, the, you know, one of the great football players of all time, also into the movies and that he was, and it's like, and this is where we start to, you know, we went from him being a manager. This is where we start to get to that Clarence Avant. What is your job uh, kind of thing, which permeates the movie? Because he's like making these deals and he's making things happen and nobody is exactly sure what it is he does, but people are just, they're happy that he's around and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. even I couldn't even tell you now what his job description is. Yeah. Like what would it say on his business card? Who knows? The you Black know? Godfather. The Black Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> I would say so. 
but we do get into more, we get back to the music when he starts a label. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll continue the discussion of Clarence Avon and his wild and crazy career. We'll be right back. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you commiserated over the pets that may be in your life. Now, Clarence Avant starts a label. He starts Sussex records his joy and glee at uh, to this day at the the name meaning but uh, a blending of success and sex he's like what more do you want? i mean like he still is very tickled by that which i think is really endearing it's very funny <laughs> like <laughs> he gets it, right to the heart of it Yes. And I also, before we move forward, just when he does move out to LA, I really like that part where he talks about how he wasn't going to get married and he wasn't going to move to California. And then he gets married and he moves to California. And then the neighborhood part of that, of like Baldwin Hills, which is still a, a black neighborhood in LA. It was the black Beverly Hills and it still kind of is, you know, it was historically, especially in the seventies. And then he was like, yeah, I'm looking at homes in Baldwin Hills. And Mr. Glazer said, I don't think so. You're buying a, a house in Beverly Hills. And he's like, they will not be selling me a house in Beverly Hills. Uh, I can't afford it. And also I am a black man in the seventies. And yeah. You know, that mob money just got right in there and changed some minds. It's like a thing that goes on throughout the his life, but that he's unafraid to be the first. He's not going to let someone tell him what he can't do, which I think is a pretty cool thing. So I, I really enjoyed that part about the neighborhood just because, you know, I've driven through both of those neighborhoods and I couldn't afford a house in either. You got to hook up with some mob people. Exactly. And then the doors think... will open up for you. Yeah, I've been exactly. saying this, Kristen. You've got to get those mob ties correct. Okay. Yep. Come yep. on. Now's the time to do it. The height of the mob's power, 2021. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, who's? what's the modern equivalent? Yeah, I know. It would have to be like... Jeff Bezos uh, or something. Yeah, exactly. It's that or just like family money. Mary, I gotta, I gotta marry into uh, just a Hollywood lineage. Anyway, so yeah. He so he gets into he gets into the business of owning his own label. Now that is your more standard what you expect a non-performer inductee to have done to start a label. Although by the time we're done with this, I will say that this is certainly a piece of the puzzle, but this is probably not the biggest piece of his contribution to music. Mm -hmm. He starts Sussex, which is success in sex. He loves it. And his first signing is this guy, Dennis Coffey, who had this big funk instrumental hit, Scorpio. And it was considered a bold move because here's this black executive and he signed this white guy, this white guitar player. Turns out the coffee has a lot of cream. <laughs> uh, it's all cream. 
Turns out it was just milk. <laughs> Turns out it actually was just milk. <laughs> At the end yeah. of the day. Do you think he sh- he'll ever be inducted or should be inducted? Dennis, Dennis Coffee? No. I don't I don't no. think so. <laughs> Too not big enough. No, I mean like even I mean Scorpio was a big song, but even now I feel like it is kind of faded away from uh, the public consciousness, you know. For sure. This public is public consciousness. <laughs> this is as close as he's going to get is Clarence Avon getting in. Yeah, right. I mean, like, go out there and get the records, people. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love his stuff. Love he's mo- he's more than just Scorpio. Oh, yeah. You. Big time. Yeah. Big time. So we get some of the artists that were on the label. There's a shout out to Rodriguez, a, mm-hmm. a documentary star of his own from Searching for Sugar Man. I got to say, if you've watched Searching for Sugar Man, though, in that film, Clarence Avant is not presented as the hero who signed him. Ultimately, and you know, this I think it's worth bringing up. Ultimately, they ask they ask questions about like where did the money go? If this record was being so distributed, especially in South Africa, they talked to people and they're like, "Oh yeah, we the royalties went to they went to Sussex." And then it seems like there were questions that couldn't be answered. So I was surprised that they that they included Rodriguez in this film, if you've seen the other one. But I suppose most people are just like, eh, they don't really, they don't remember. You've got to talk about that stuff. It's part of the story. And I can only speak from what I've heard and what's presented there. But, you know, his daughter, Nicole, in The Black Godfather hits it head on. I mean, she's just saying that it was illegal to sell the record in South Africa. So it's it bootlegs mostly. Bootlegs, mm-hmm. and nobody's making any royalties on that. And I think there's some other there's some other commentary on it in there. But mm-hmm. but I have to go back. I mean, I loved Searching for Sugar Man as a film. Well, well, and you know, it's like one of those things too, where you know Chuck Berry had to talk about how he put cameras in the bathroom, and they were like, so you know, you can't hide your past. You got to confront it head on. You got to include it in the documentary. You got to include it in the biography. Comparison. <laughs> Interesting comparison. Oh man, what have I done? <laughs> but this is all leading up to the big... You've besmirched a legend, is actually. <laughs> So this is all leading up to the big Sussex signing and big Sussex success, which is Bill Withers. Mm-hmm. And they talk about a little bit how like he looks like a folk singer mm-hmm. and like there's there's soulful things behind him. But as a black artist, he was something brand new. You know, he's from fucking Slab Fork that that I, I never <laughs> I never get tired. And we've watched a lot. We've you know. He, Bill Withers was inducted about six years ago. And so we've mm-hmm. watched stuff uh, about Bill Withers and, you know, see, Slab Fork just always comes up and it's great. And I never get tired of it. <laughs> Have you guys seen the Still Bill documentary on Bill Withers? No, I have not. I have heard of it. And uh, yeah, I, I would. I'm sure I'll probably up. watch it because clearly this is what I do now. I'll probably watch <laughs> it at some point. It's really, I mean, I love Bill Withers, and I think everybody does. Who yeah. You can't not love him, but it really goes into depth as far as, like, how he had a stutter and grew up with a stutter and dealing with that, and it's very touching, and so it's also a special kind of, like, different bio doc that'll be very enjoyable. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to get on that. Not Again, not for docicus, though. <laughs> yeah. Not for docicus. Oh, you got boy. some homework, but not that much homework, Oh, people. boy. He already made me watch Sonic Highways, so we're, <laughs> we're doing our best. We sure okay. are. And then there, you know, there w- was an interesting portion where they're talking about Soul Train after this. And I was, yeah. 
And it, it really, it caught me, especially because I didn't know where we were going with this. Cause it was talking about how important soul train was. And an, it's an unfiltered look at black culture and for black people by black people, not watered down in any way. And it's a, the most exposure a lot of non-black audiences had, had been at that time to black people and how important soul train was. And I kept thinking like, okay, but he didn't create it. And like, I don't, <laughs> he's not, um, what's the involvement. And the fact I love, I thought the story was really interesting that Dick Clark was going to try to push soul train out by making his own knockoff, but using his influence and power to give it a perfect time slot to then it was going to be called soul unlimited. And it was mm-hmm. going to compete with soul train and that Clarence stepped in, and this is, you know, one of those examples of what he does. He stepped in and more or less convinced them, nah, don't do that. He straight up said, if you do this, I will make sure that you fail. Like, he, he's like, I will have people in the streets. No one will work with you, and no one will forgive you. He just flexed his muscle, and people believed him. And I think that is so freaking cool because he wasn't doing it. Here's the thing. He could have made a lot of money, and I think that's why this is, once again, where we get into the gist of the movie or the thesis of, of it. It's like he was offered a lot of money to help out to to consult and to produce on this you know soul unlimited or whatever and he actually was like nah Mm -hmm. don cornelius is my guy and i'm sticking with him and you will not make this show i i actually not only will i not work on this i will see to it that this does not get made thank you and good night that is a very cool and principled stance to take and like that is very much what that's what Clarence Avon appears to be about uh, in this movie that he is, you know, a part of. Again, we've talked as well about because I did just watch the Clive Davis documentary and I've been thinking a lot about how much if you're involved in your own documentary, you get the they're best not going to make. Yeah, they're not going to really uh, haul out all that dirty laundry. They might give you a little whiff of Rodriguez, but they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to haul out all of the dirty laundry. But I do think that that is one of those times where he just stands on a principle and makes a choice for principles over money, which I think goes against what he presents himself as, you know. Well, I think that's what's interesting about like at that point. You know, he's not choosing money, even though he talks about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just by his actions, you begin to be like, oh, wait a minute. You know, he's clearly guided by something else when it comes down to it. But then chips are down. Mm -hmm. And you've got to respect that. Plus, like the Soul Unlimited clip is so awesomely cheesy. (laughs) Yes. Like you can only imagine what that show actually would have been how like super cheesy it was going to be yeah it would have been american bandstand soul train which sounds horrible yeah it is it's like (laughs) mac and cheese ice cream yeah don't do it we don't need that i also just a few things from kind of up until this point in the movie someone says at one point you know he's not going to twist himself into a pretzel just to be liked And I think that's why he has earned so much respect from people, because I don't think I think everyone can tell that he is not faking. He's not front like he is out there. He is coming from a principled stance. And I think that's pretty rare in entertainment. And they talk about it, too, throughout the film. And then this is also where you're like, 
okay, they talked to Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. <laughs> they literally got everybody. Truly. There's like no stone unturned here. It shows you how willing, how loved he is. You know, yeah. all these people are willing to sit down and uh, take part, you know, and just their presence, everyone's presence makes it special. And it's like, if there is any major figure in, in black culture in America who's not in the movie, there is a picture of them with Clarence somewhere in the movie. Like it, it is, it is really just a, a, almost exhaustive. It's like it, every single person they at the very, if they're not showing up to talk about him, then they are smiling ear to ear, standing next to him in a picture. Muhammad Ali. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so a- after this, we, we get a few non-rock moments. Again, him just like reaching every at, to every corner. You know, he's helping Andrew Young run for Congress in Georgia, maybe one of the first black men in the South to attempt to do that. You know, and he thinks he's crazy, but Clarence is going to try to help him anyway, helps him, you know, does a benefit concert with Isaac Hayes in Rare Earth. And then, you know, through Andrew Young, he's connected to Jimmy Carter and is working to, you know, use his pull of celebrities to make these events and do fundraising. And like, it's the it's the net. It's the Clarence Avant net at this point. And he's doing all this for free because he wants to, because Mm -hmm. he thinks it's important and it's the right thing to do and that it's for the good of the people. And this is what separates him from that circle of self-identified assholes at the end of the film <laughs> you know it's like there's a panel or like a little circle this they're all like sitting a, on little a, couches yeah and yeah. Irving Azoff is kind of a, at the head of it uh but he's sitting there with other very powerful music industry people and you know it's that classic Irving Azoff thing of like haha we're all assholes but we're rich lol and mm-hmm. they all laugh and you're like oh boy they and I, probably- you just want your blood start it's a kernel a little bit <laughs> but then you remember that like you got clarence avon out here he's doing it for the love of of his people and the love of wanting to see black people succeed and get ahead in a yes. very rigged system it's really uh powerful to see that he he just does it because he wants to do it it's not like he's like oh yeah and then there's going to be a picture of me someday with barack obama and that's you know everyone's gonna know i did this you know mm-hmm. he's just he's like no that's good for us all yes i believe the phrasing is in moving black people forward is kind of what it, it, it goes back to well you know we talked about like connection being one of the the core drivers you know subtextually but part of what comes from that is power you know connection is is a form of power and then how do you leverage that power he's not losing anything by by doing all this stuff and helping all these people and certainly gaining on some level if you're looking at the long game and you're not just worried about like paychecks or photos and magazines or something but long game wise and there's even a bit of that like karmically it comes back to him when Mm -hmm. um, the, the label radio goes station. under yeah, or the, the radio station. Down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean like in between, so the, the next few things that the documentary touches on, we, we talked about Jim Brown a little bit, but you know, when Hank Aaron is beating Babe Ruth's career home run record, Clarence sees this as an opportunity for Hank Aaron, who's at the end of, you know, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure and a lot of direct racism from people who believe 
that you know a black man cannot take away Babe Ruth's record, he steps in and is like, let's leverage this. You should be profiting off of this. You know, you can't, you, you are achieving something incredible and you are not enjoying it. You're not able to enjoy it. And then it gives him, gets him this incredible deal with Coca-Cola. It's this deal-making thing that we're starting to see is like, okay, that is his skill. Like one of, one of his many skills, one of his best skills. Then we see that he puts his foot down and makes sure that Stan Lathan, a black director, is who helms the big Muhammad Ali tribute TV special. And he's, you know, he's making all these deals. I would say a rare misstep in the Clarence Avant story is when he decides to start a radio station, which the, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea behind it is great. Like a black owned radio station, not really something that at that time was happening and to have black radio, just not a thing. And this is at this point, the seventies, it feels like we've covered so much ground. We're only in the seventies at this point. I remember, I think I was watching the documentary. I was like, wow, We've like gone through two, <laughs> two or three different lifetimes and we're like at 1974 or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. this is, this is, and like this also works narratively for kind of what's happening is this is where he loses everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the, he loses the label, the radio station goes under, he has nothing, he goes broke. They are maybe going to take the house. But, you know, he is also the, he's this person we've been talking about who has, he has friends, everybody loves him. And he has made things happen for them and they come back and they get him back on his feet, which is a a really uh, beautiful thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's a really heartwarming part of the film. You know, a couple of people made some calls and were like, yeah, Clarence needs some help. It's like a reverse. It's a wonderful life. Now everybody's (laughs) helping Clarence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Right. Clarence is the name of the angel. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's a wonderful life. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good connection there. You. Wow. Put it on the galaxy board. Uh, (laughs) Honestly. So then he's he's back doing his thing. There's some great stories about like this big issue with Michael Jackson and Steve. Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones doing this ET storybook slash record, and it violates certain record contracts. Contracts and like they didn't get permission, so you've I'm got. I'm just gonna interject there, which now you know you're in the '80s. At that, <laughs> that is probably the most '80s meeting you're ever gonna attend. Yeah, anyway. exactly. That's that's so, so the biggest figures in, in the '80s all, all coming together. And it's, you know, they say there's this conference room where they're trying to hash this thing out. And there is a team of representatives for every one of those people, including like Universal and Spielberg and Quincy and Michael Jackson and on and on. And then Clarence is there (laughs) and they're like, what, who are you representing? And he's like, I'm representing everybody. And he apparently makes it all okay. He makes the deal. He's the guy, man. Clarence Avon. Oh, I wrote several times while rewatching it. Clarence can never die. <laughs> I, and they go, they really get into it at the end of the film. Like they really talk about his mortality or whatever. But I was just yeah. like, this man needs to stay alive and just keep it all together. He we, is. We need him. We need him. Yeah. And did just, I, I don't think we've said it yet, but this movie was from 2019 and he is 90 now. Yeah. I am glad that he is alive for his induction into the Rock yeah, Hall. I was just going to say that. One of the many errors in, in the Rock Hall often is not making it in time for, for people's induction. 
But let's get into the new label. And this starts the new chapter that I think this is the induction worthy stuff. Because we've talked a lot about a lot of really incredible things in his career, but stuff that I wouldn't necessarily say has to do with the creation of pop rock R&B music. You know, there's the Sussex stuff and he managed Little John, but that those two things together, I don't know, that doesn't fill out the whole picture. But he starts this label called Tattoo, which as a label... Taboo. Excuse Taboo. me. Taboo. I say Tattoo. <laughs> you did. All the things you, of all the things you said, one of them was tattoo. <laughs> wow, boo. Uh, so he starts this label called Taboo, and the label itself is not a like a super important label, but what happens within it and like the kind of chain reaction is extremely important because the SOS band, their big hit was Take Your Time, Do It Right. And it gives a producing break to two of the most important producers of that era, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And that is really what, like, I feel like that starts a wave of R&B that lasts decades. And he continues to be involved with those players, too. Like, he is helping them get the money they deserve, even when it's his money. Yeah, like, that which is, is an incredible story. That with story Jimmy. with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis when he tells their agent to leave the room and then he says, all right, I need to talk to you about how much money you're asking for. And they're like, oh, we'll take less. And he's like, no, <laughs> you're not asking for enough. You need yeah. more. It's going to cost more and you need to be asking for more. And I'm telling you this as the person who you need to be asking it from, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta is, admire that. Yeah. He's the guy, man. I love yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then he straight up puts them with Janet and it's like, Clarence is back, baby. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it, it really like the, the musical ripples from there. And then he's, you know, meeting with label heads, especially, you know, he meets with Irving when he takes over at MCA and is like, Hey, uh, would you like some advice about how to handle the black music at your label? And Irving is like, great. And he's like, well, good. Cause I was going to tell you anyway. And this seems like a conversation that he is having with a lot of the labels, not as an employee of the label, nope. but as, <laughs> but as someone that they will listen to. And he is guiding all these different labels with how specifically how to handle the black music that's under their umbrella. It goes back to Soul Train. I mean, you know, he saved us from all the Soul Unlimited versions of the record label things they were going to be doing. Yeah, it's true. And and also, like, they talk about how he is someone that people will listen to. White executives will listen to him. He he has their respect. And I think that that also all goes back to the fact that he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it for the advancement of the Black cause. And he's not doing it in a selfish way. He is he's gotten people will listen to him and he doesn't ask for permission. I think that's what is very good. He's like, I'm here to tell you how things are going to be. 
take a seat. I think Mm -hmm. that's a very cool attitude to have. And it's one you can really only have if you're a total dick or you have everyone's respect. If everyone fears you, you can do that. And if everyone respects you, you can do that. And I think that it's very rare that someone is respected for the right reasons in this business. This movie made me believe that Clarence Avon is one of them. It's more sustainable because if you're a dick, like that might last for a little bit, but you're not really. I don't know. Look around, look around, (laughs) look around. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Good point. Well, you guys have a deeper perspective on the music business than I do, but. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I want to get to the, the fact that, you know, we talk about Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, but then like a lot of the like major producers or label heads that come after, I'm thinking specifically Ellie Reed and Babyface. Ellie Reed and Babyface, yeah. And Andre Harrell. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he has their back and he is helping them. They talk about Andre Harrell went from uh, Uptown Records to Motown Records and it was a disaster and that, you know, maybe he was put there to take the fall. And anyway, he is kicked out of the door of Motown. And apparently Andre and Clarence have butted heads before, but Clarence still steps in and is like, they need to give you a severance package and I'm going to help you get that because that is what a white person would get. And, you know, it might not happen, but I'm going to make sure that it happens. He's the man. He's so good. And I'm that's probably one of the next things that we will talk about, but he is the person who, you know, Puff Daddy says that he says like, I'm just going to give it to you raw. He is the guy. Clarence is the guy who makes sure you don't get fucked. Mm-hmm. Like he is making sure he's really looking out for the black interest in the entertainment business, all aspects of it. And he's saying we will be paid fairly. We will be getting what our white counterparts get and then some, and I'm going to make sure that it happens. And I'm going to make sure that you don't settle for less. And he's looking over contracts for people for free. He's setting up meetings between other people for free. He's going out and fixing record labels and mentoring. You know, I give, I was giving a lot of guff lately to our man, Dave Grohl, uh, for just continuing to do. And, <laughs> and I was saying that I, that I, he should be mentoring people and that like, blah, blah, blah. And one of our fans did send us an interesting article about how a band that's been opening for the Foo Fighters is um, a young black uh, rock band. And he, you know, has taken them out. And so good for a girl that you have one point. Good, good job. Uh, but freaking Clarence is the man like he did the thing that you should do, especially to like help the next generation and to create the world that you're trying to have like each one teach one it's like every single person that he has impacted then takes that into the world and tries to help the next, the people below them. And I think that's like the thesis of the movie. There's a whole long cavalcade of people all saying the exact same thing of there'll never be another Clarence, but like what he's trying to do is teach you how to be the kind of person that he is. Yes. And it's such a rarity and it doesn't need to be, you know, like this guy is a mentor. He mentor and he has mentored so many people in so many different areas. And like his reason for existing, his mission is like the advancement of black people in America. And that's what he does. And he's managed to do it because he does it from his heart even though he says he does it for money. We know the truth. We know the truth. We saw it. We do. We do. It's so inspiring to see how inspired you guys are, you know, by his example. I mean, imagine working on this for like 
over a year was so exhilarating to help put this story out there. Yeah. Um, I also just want to give a shout out to Diddy for his participation in this uh, film. He is just what a guy to watch. He's unfiltered and I love it. He's going to be Quincy someday. You know he's going to be Quincy someday. He is just the fact that he's out here being like, oh, yeah, he's kept me out of jail. He like he basically saved his life the night yeah, that Biggie was murdered. That's, that's you an know? important story. That's one of the most, I think, compelling stories especially because we've talked so much about him in the the 70s and the 80s but like this extends to more contemporary artists you know this is a guy who started with little willie john and he when biggie was killed there was a target on sean combs's back mm-hmm. and he was scared that he was going to be next soon and that wherever he went there would be people waiting for him and what does he do he calls up clarence because that's who you call in a crisis and clarence figures out how to get him to safety you can't take him to lax because that's there are people there no doubt waiting for him get him to Mm -hmm. san diego fly him to miami from san diego He's saving people's lives too. Literally. And he he turns Snoop Dogg's life around. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, you know, and Snoop is a person who obviously has had a checkered past, but has the respect of Clarence and is like, if you're choosing me and you see something in me, I and I respect you so much, that is I'm going to make a change. Well, and, you know, it's like respect without the fucking respectability politics, which I think are really toxic in black elite culture as far as, you know, the good old Bill Cosby pull your pants up before when he had before he had when he thought he had a leg to stand on. I think it's like really cool and important that, yeah, he's not out there saying, pull your pants up, don't swear in your music. He's like, hey, kids are looking up to you take that for what it for what you will you know like i don't want you to die it's very important to me that you stay alive like you know your life means something to me he's using what he has which is actually the moral high ground (laughs) to improve people's lives i also just want to say though the part that i found so entertaining about diddy's interview is he was like he's cut me out of jail two three times i'm good now though i am reformed (laughs) you can invite me to your house to your dinner parties like he's worried that someone's gonna see this and think i just it was so, yeah he's concerned about was, you know his oh image oh my gosh and later when they're like will anyone ever will there ever be another Clarence Ava and he's like I don't even feel comfortable talking about that like he <laughs> thinks he's gonna speak it into existence yeah I just think Diddy thinks he's like magic like I've heard people say that when Diddy is around like clocks don't work right and like electrical things will happen and stuff I think he's I think he's got, he's got some magic on him was there a lot of Diddy footage do you remember that there wasn't like a ton, you know, mm. so it's not like, oh, there's a whole other Diddy documentary on the cutting room floor, <laughs> you know, but but we used the best stuff in there. The rest of the film, you know, so we're kind of closing it out. They they save some huge, heavy political hitters. You know, the fact that he was like very tight with Bill Clinton, that he was early in on Obama and. And that like Bill Clinton called him during his time of crisis. Yeah. I mean, like what what is going on? Really? Bill Clinton really did think he was our first black president. He really did. Yeah, I know. Right (laughs) down to calling Clarence. He knows the move. Exactly. They kind of wrap it up 
with, you know, you hear from Obama a lot, you know, Clarence's daughter worked on the Obama campaign. And even though the family was very close to the Clintons and. And now she's an ambassador. So Mm -hmm. she got hers. Yeah. I do. I just, something that is very fun about Clarence Avon is his perpetual nonplussed state of Mm -hmm. it's very funny because there is not a single there is so few people who would talk about visiting the white house like it was a chore like he was yeah, like, he's rolling what the his fuck eyes do I care bedroom. about the Lincoln bedroom? Come <laughs> on. I'm just there to have dinner with my friend, the president. Like, what are you saying, my guy? Like, I just, oh, I really, I got to appreciate that because there just are not many people who could say that and you not think they were being so disingenuous. I, I think he's fronting a bit, but like, I think that he really doesn't super care. Like he didn't become friends with Bill Clinton to see the Lincoln bedroom. And that much is clear to me. Well, when you see all that he's been through in his life, mm-hmm. you know, and what he's seen, he's, yeah. he's got a wider perspective on things for sure. Yes. But those little clearancisms, I mean, it just makes it so much fun to watch, too. Like, after the Bill Withers stuff and everything, he's just like, yeah, I had a bunch of hit records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah, at this point, they, they kind of wrap up with, you know, just hearing from everybody again. And, you know, you kind of underline the, the main points, which is that, you know, he talks about it's all numbers, but really he's all heart. And he's just a, an extremely generous guy who has meant so much to everybody who's famous (laughs) like they all owe something to him and he's been working behind the scenes and now he's being recognized they kind of frame it with the hollywood walk of fame but you know he is it it, it continues down to the to the rock hall induction will i would like to know as an editor is there anything that didn't make the movie that you wish had or is there anything that sticks out to you as I mean, we didn't really talk about Jamie Foxx, but he is like hamming it up. In oh my gosh! Like every... Yes, impressions. He's doing impressions of everybody. Yeah, he's he and I. I he's someone who I would imagine there would be a lot of footage of him just doing impressions of everybody. But yeah, I mean, Jamie Foxx in particular, what a great ingredient to work with because if you ever needed to boost the energy and, mm-hmm. and let, get add some levity to something like he, he was right there and uh so much fun to watch i mean such a comedic genius actually he's so funny too he can't say someone's name without doing an impression of them he's like he's like bill withers you know me like he can't stop like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like and quincy jones will be like no <laughs> And he like when he does his Quincy Jones impression, he's like talking about Sinatra, which is something that Quincy Jones does, having worked on the Quincy Jones documentary. Yes, mm-hmm. I know that. So little Easter eggs here and there, uh, but you know this is an example of a doc where we really, and I think you just ran through it. I mean, there is no stone unturned here, and I don't know how we got it to under two hours. I mean, I think it's even closer to one thirty. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot, but it never feels like it's going too fast. Or I hope not. No. Yeah, it's just the sheer number of people who are interviewed. It's staggering and it is maybe the highest I've ever seen in, in, in a documentary. So I, I just um, can only imagine how you take, even if you're not talking to the people for that long, just it adds up and like you can make you can make a documentary that's just other people's talking heads, like cutting back and forth between between that. 
I think it was something like it was over 70 interviews, I think. Oof. There were spreadsheets with names and it's a lot. The galaxy board. Yes. <laughs> that in and of itself is the thing. That's Clarence's thing is the people coming, you know, and, and everything he touched. That's kind of like what that's about, what his life story is about. It's yeah, it's really remarkable. Now, when he's inducted in October, traditionally an inductee has someone give a speech beforehand there are so many inductees this year that i imagine that not all of them will get that uh, especially since he is in a side category you know he's not it's really exciting that he's going to get some attention but uh the reality is he's not like one of the marquee names you know alongside you know tina turner and, and the foo fighters uh so if there was going to be a speech i think bill withers would have been a good choice if i'm looking at the if I'm looking at the other names, it's like Quincy is like also a great one. Although Quincy is getting kind of up there also in. But he his is years. so spry. I saw the documentary. He's out there. I mean, he's old man. He he's is heavy man. He's always saying things are heavy. Those yeah. are heavy days, yeah. man. It's heavy man. You know what I mean? All our friends are dying. It's heavy. Like he's really talking about it. Yeah. But he's thinking, still it's, spry. That's true. I thinking like the Rock Hall though. I would think Jamie Foxx would be a contender oh, given, yeah. given the A-list name and like giving a really energetic uh, speech. I, I think he would, he, I mean, as we know, there are 70 people who, who could do this, but those, those would be the, uh, <laughs> the predictions I would make. Yeah. I would agree with both of you guys. I think they should both get up there, do, do a little banter. It would be cute if Quincy did a speech and then Jamie Foxx got up there and probably did an, imp- and did an impression Quincy. of Quincy. <laughs> Does it as yeah? There we go. There's there's a compromise. Jamie Fox. There you go, producers. As, I hope you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they, uh, we got. Hey, we've got the ear of the hall. There sometimes, you go. sometimes, sometimes, maybe I don't know. I really try to pretend that no one listens to this show. <laughs> it keeps me. It keeps me objective. Good. Yeah. No, that's a good perspective. Will, is there anything else about this movie or about making this movie, whether it be uh, a, an anecdote or an insight or a piece of trivia? that we have not touched on that you think is worth mentioning? Gosh, I wish I came prepared for that question. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to riff here. But, you know, it's because sure? it covers so many aspects and, and, and working all of that stuff in. So, again, it's not like a ton of stuff was left on the cutting room floor that we did try to figure out. And ultimately, it's the end credits, which is the, the curse yeah. out storyline. And so we even found a place to put that, which I'm so proud of. Which is that he's fond of calling people a motherfucker. It's yeah. great. Yeah. I do and, really enjoy that credit scene. It's a fun, like, Easter egg joke run, too, you know? It's neat to see a documentary that has so many kind of, like, cascades of people all kind of with the same point of view on one person like that shows a level of consistency of who this man is it's not like he's got you know two faces or whatever everybody knows he means business but he also means like fair business yeah when you're talking to all these people and there's so many recurring things it's like well this is an element of who this person is Mm -hmm. you know and and to tell the story right you've got to include that and it's fun and you've heard him do it throughout the doc as he's Mm -hmm. talking it it rings true Based on our our limited experience, yeah. I was just watching, I mean, I literally was just watching it today and thinking about how he believes in the system. I think in these past couple of years, we've 
I've lost a, a lot of faith and trust in the system. And it's interesting to see someone who believes that the system can work and to hear him talk in particular about voting and voting rights. Well, he also really didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think actually it's Obama who makes a very good point about he's the bridge between the era where there is zero opportunity for black people to do anything and where we are now. And, you know, the the way for someone from his time to do that is to work within the yeah, system. Yeah, work within the confines of the system. Exactly. Like he doesn't really have a choice, you know, when you're born mm-hmm. in 1931, you yeah. know, that's... If He's you like, I know what I'll do. I'll tear it all down. He's, he's kind of, you know, he's doing yeah. the work so that maybe future generations can do that. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's inspiring. Because uh, I'm also disillusioned with, uh, you know, the way things are with democracy these days. Sure. But I guess that could be a positive thing that Clarence is giving us in the movie, too. It's like, hang in there and keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I am... <laughs> Joel, how, how did you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm glad Clarence Avant is, is being inducted. And, you know, this... I, I had seen this documentary around the time when it came out, but and then this is the I think the first step in getting his story out there, and I hope that his induction will continue to do that. Wait, really quick, is this like a go-go situation? I'm now <laughs> literally in the last minute of the show putting together that this documentary yeah. is probably a very large reason that he's being I think so. Oh my God. I think because it's, yeah, I, I, you know, and maybe this is, this is a question we will ask. We will ask at the end of every episode in Docagist is do we, do we think this documentary, which came out in 2019 and also we haven't said this yet, but it's directed by Reginald Hudlin. Do we think that it had something, something to do with the induction of the subject this year? And I would say, yeah. I think so. I think absolutely. I mean, this to me was a very compelling case for him. And also just like a compelling case for him as a human being. Please stay alive, Clarence. (laughs) Stay with us. I will let you know that the whole reason we made the doc was to be inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame. So it was part of a secret strategy. Well, you you joke, Will, but that's like... Some of the movies that we watch, we will watch in Docist. I legitimately believe that's the case. Okay. For real. Interesting. For real. So stay tuned. People stay know what I'm tuned. talking about. <laughs> we talked about it quite a bit, but stay tuned. Uh, well, I, I think that just about does it. Unless, again, if there's anything else you'd like to share with us, Will. I would say, Kristen, given how much uh, it's hard to impress you, you know, and seeing how clearly Clarence broken through that. I have to say that's when we do a sequel on him, you've got to be a part of it. Love him. Yeah. LOL. It'll be and then this girl from a podcast who really loves him, uh, has never met him, is white, and is also trying to get into enter- and is entertainment as in entertainment. Let's get her in there. What set interview 71. And like go. I said, you're in the constellation. You're in the galaxy. 
It's right. true. There, there's a spot. Now I really am. Now for I'm you. Now I'm for you, we greatest. are. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. We did this. <laughs> I'm on the galaxy board. It's my dream come true. No, it is fun to know that I like to like people. I'm not, I don't enjoy. That's why Foo Lai was very hard for me because I was forced to talk about something that I don't really like very much for five weeks. Okay. But like, I do enjoy, I enjoy enjoying things. Mm. All right. Okay. Yeah. Keep it in. <laughs> um, speaking of degrees, did you have you gotten to meet the man? Well, briefly, we there was a premiere for it and mm-hmm. uh, the you oh, know, wow. celebration of Clarence. What was that like? It was it was pretty incredible. Like uh, it was on the Paramount lot. So there was this like old, old school, old Hollywood feel for it. But it was an opportunity for everybody to kind of come out and physically manifest the celebration of him. And Quincy was there and uh Andrew Young was there and Jamie Foxx and all kinds of people. And uh, it was special. I I told my assistant editor, I was like, it's never going to happen like this for any other documentary again. So enjoy Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And you didn't even know about COVID then. (laughs) Right. Just a twinkle in a bat's eye. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Well, well, I can't thank you enough for for joining us and, and giving us these, you know, insider insights and uh, and thank you for editing this very well edited documentary. Oh, Truly. appreciate that. Appreciate is there that. A, is there anything you would like to uh, plug, whether it's your social media or anything, any work that you've got that's out there or coming out soon? I'll tell uh, the audience, despite having talked about the film in detail, do still watch it if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it yet, because it's going to give you all the, the sort of humor and the Jamie Foxisms and all the things we didn't cover. So there's more. There's more. So check it out. Will Z Editor is my handle on Instagram and whatever, although I'm not using it as much these days. But if you good for you. It, there it is. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see the message, you're going to have to say that somewhere in there. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it because she does not want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please. That would be nice. It would be even nicer. Give us a rating and a review and make it five stars. Even if you think we're a solid four and you think that's a nice, honest compliment, you got to do five. Otherwise, it doesn't really count. Uh, Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares? About the rock hall in Dockgist. Who cares about the Dockgist? With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 